It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. everybody and welcome to the show made possible by our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives. Today we're joined by a man who left an indelible mark on the North Melbourne Football Club as a recruiter, a chief executive and in just about every role in between. Greg Miller played 52 VFL games for South Melbourne in the 70s but it was as an administrator that he truly made his mark on the competition particularly at Arden Street where he helped shape a golden generation at the club. Greg welcome thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you, Sam. Very nice introduction. Thank you. It is oh so fitting that we're speaking around Good Friday football returning for another year. I mean, when did you first approach the league about that idea? Was it, we talking early 90s? Yeah, it would have been. Um, it was an idea. Obviously, the Kangaroos had to come up with uh, every idea they could to, um, you know, to sort of generate interest in our club. We were a small club and we had to come up with, uh, as you know, Friday night football, grand final, uh, uh, breakfasts. And this was another idea of um, of ours to have to play Friday night for Friday football and contribute to the Good Friday appeal. Um, the problem we had was uh, our coach John Kennedy was the commissioner at the time, the chief commissioner. He was uh, in charge, and uh, a devout Catholic, he wasn't in favour. Right. So were you knocked back, or were you laughed off, or did they consider it at all? Do you think? Oh, uh, we're knocked back. I, I, I used to start every year you put your request in for the picture and I'd make it number one just to something upset them in there. Uh, so it was probably, it was probably about in for about, I don't know, 20 years before they saw the light. And of course, at that stage, I was able to add every year what other sporting events are on around the world on Good Friday. So the list got bigger and bigger as, as the AFL kept saying no. It did indeed. So North have appeared in it since 2017. There's been some wrangling over which teams should play um, should play a bit, play your old side, but your old side's been a constant. So do you still say a little quiet, I told you so to yourself every year it rolls on? <laughs> well, it's just good. I mean, all clubs have got their derbies or their, um, you know, their Anzac days or their Anzac Eves or their Queen's birthdays. You know, it was great for us. We established Fridays and lost those. So let's give us, uh, you know, good Friday for the next 20 years. And there was no, tw- I mean, the co- Twilight footy as a concept was unheard of back then as well. It was. It was a good first game of um, Friday Night Football against Collingwood. I remember it so well because they uh, they broke the gates in at the MCG. They couldn't fit them all in. There's been a push the last couple of years, Greg, or at least a question raised about Christmas Day sport here. I mean, do you have a view on that? We see it overseas, particularly in the US. Could it work here for, you know, Big Bash or NBL or racing or whatever it might be? Yeah. Well, maybe, you know, I think it's the wrong time of the year for football. They had that one game, remember, a few years back, I think. Brendan Favola might have kicked ten goals, or someone did. But, New, uh, New Year's, yeah, yeah. There was a one. There was a one-off uh, New Year's, yeah. But um, 
Look, I think it's out of out of season. Um, you know, I wouldn't be thinking that's a, an important time for AFL footy. No, no. Uh, what keeps you busy these days, Greg? Uh, community sport. I'm involved with the uh, Cheltenham Football Netball Club and the East Anding and Cricket Club. They're pretty much uh, my interest in the local, in the local area. I, I also go to many North games and uh, with my daughter, Richmond Games, with my son, uh, I'm up in Sydney watching the Swans play as well. The last time we saw you in AFL football, of course, was at Richmond in the middle of 2008 when you were the football director there. And, that, and that's possibly selling you short because you were a lot of hats in those six years at, at Punt Road, didn't you? And it was a challenging period for the club. Danny Frawley was removed. Terry Wallace came in. The side battled for wins. What are your memories of the stint at Richmond towards the end? Uh, look, it was different. I um, you know, When I arrived at Richmond, it was uh, interesting that there was no long-term staff. Michael Stahl, who's still there, was the only staff member over six years. And so different than Kangaroos, where the staff had all been there 15 years. And I guess one of my aims was to try and get some stability. And you wouldn't believe it, 12 months, I was in the job 12 months, and there was an election. There was a, um, there was a past player-driven Peter Walsh and Brian Wood, and these guys drove an election. And I, the last thing I wanted to be involved with was a change of, you know, a board. So I got behind you know, Clinton Casey and... Um, and we had a uh, an election. I found, found myself on the board, which is not what I wanted. But um, yeah, that's 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 what happened. And um, so I got involved in the politics, which is not a good thing. And those politics can obviously upset some people. And um, yeah, that was part of my demise at Richmond. I was going to ask you why it went. Well, why you felt that it went south at, at Punt Road? I guess footy was changing around that time, and the roles were changing within it. Yeah, I think they put the key. One of the key ingredients was that. We'd seen so many coaches at Richmond sacked, and um, Terry was coming into his, uh, you know, had one year to go after the year that I left. And I was saying, well, look, we either finish him now, or what I was saying, we should extend his contract. Because um, going into a last year of a contract at Richmond, it was absolutely disaster. The media would have the stories written. Um, you know, as soon as you had a couple of losses in a row, you know what happens at a, at a footy club when the coach is under pressure, the assistant coaches drop off, the players start to blame the coach. One thing after another. So I felt that we had to make a stance and that wasn't uh, taken well with uh, some of the other directors. There's not many smooth sackings in footy, is there? But the, the way the end came about for you at Richmond was described, I think, by the then president, Gary March, as messy. I think the media might have found out before you did, Greg, which can't be nice. <laughs> yeah, no, it was. But look, I don't uh, have an issue with that at all. I um, support Richmond and I'm very proud of what they've achieved. I'm proud of the people that I got involved with, like Francis uh, Jackson and Jackie Rewild and Shane Edwards and I love seeing their success and all credit to the Peggy O'Neills and the Brennan Gales. I, I'm actually um, very pleased to see the success they've had and um, feel a very small part of it, a very small part, but I still feel proud of them. No, of course. I was going to ask you, you must have had a smile on your face when they finally broke through, what is it, five years ago now? Yeah, and the way they've turned the finances around. In my time, you know, Francis Jackson started on a $25,000 recruiting budget, you know, that's, that was it. So we... Uh, it was it was a difficult time at the club, and the finances have changed dramatically. And you know, all credit to some of Brendan's visions and, um, and Peggy's Peggy's been able to get that stability at the club. And the decision to keep Damien Hardwick when when he had a bad year was uh, part of that really you know absolutely vital decision making process to uh, get some stability at Richmond, which is there now. So no ill will for you. I mean, I know a lot of water's gone under the bridge now, but no bad blood at the time about the manner in which it ended there. I think Gary March mentioned on record that he, he felt the need to apologise for the for the way in which it was handled, but you'd been around, you were big enough and ugly enough at that point to, to cope with it? <laughs> well, I, I spent, uh, damn, I spent 38 years in footy, <laughs> so, you know, to survive that 
is, um, you know, that's enough for me. I don't need to be uh, concerned about anything else, do I? Very good point. You're listening to This Is Your Journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals. It's a family-owned business since 1934. Greg Miller had a sharp eye for young talent and it laid the foundations for a golden era at North Melbourne. We'll explore that after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, great to have your company on This Is Your Journey, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. We're chatting to long-time footy administrator Greg Miller. Greg, how do you look back on your playing career? 52 games with the then South Melbourne between 72 and 76. Well, look, I was lucky. I... um. I, my father played at South Melbourne. I was in the cheer squad and um, it was my life ambition. You know, all I wanted to do in, in my life was play footy and play for South Melbourne. And uh, I got the opportunity. Um, I played full back in an era when uh, every full forward kicked 100 goals, which is uh, the, you know, McKenna, you know, Doug Wade, um, Larry Donoghue, I can give you Alex Ross Cutlick. They all kicked 100 goals and it's probably the testament to the ability of the full backs. I think it's part of it. So um, when I did my knee for the second time and Ian Stewart, had already sort of said to me before I, when I was still playing, he's saying, "How about giving it away and join me on the join me in the coaching?" So I think the die was written for me in this point of view. So the knee just packed it in at what maybe the age of twenty three, really, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yes, and then um, but I was look, you know, for one door closing, the opportunity then came for me to be involved with administration with Ian, and um, you know, my good friend Tony Franklin and um, you know Graham Johns that era. So uh, yeah, look, it was um, fortuitous, I suppose, because. Uh, I was at the starting base of the the expansion of the um, the full time staff. But when I joined, I was staff number two, and of course, in, you know, when I left Richmond, I don't know, I mean, maybe we had hundred. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So you were South Melbourne's, I think, your claim to fame here, at least, uh, Greg, is first full time recruiting officer back in nineteen eighty. Well, yeah, I had a role just looking after the footy division. You know, that was basically it. And Ian got me. Ian, Ian brought me in and said, look. I don't know, he's got no good players, we've got no players here where zones haven't been looked at. Yeah. Get out there and give me some players, I'll do the rest. So I did a bit of that and then uh, luckily um, Dean Moore joined, we got Dean Moore to join as a long-time administrator and he was able to take off me a lot of the match day, uh, you know, operations. Him and I were involved with the match committee with Ian and, and Ricky Quaid and Tony Franklin, which was fun. Um, and uh, yeah, I was able to get out into our zones and then of course gradually started to open up in, um, you know, the the, um, the draft and so on. So, yeah, that was a, a good era, and there wasn't many of us around. So I think probably Shana Sullivan and Noel Jenkins were probably my only, the only other clubs that had a, or, or during that era, started having recruiting officers. So as a talent spotter, if you like, what, what was your modus operandi in those early days? Well, you know, to be frank, I, I, got, to, I got to games when others didn't get there. I was there. I was in Wagga on a Saturday morning and, and, I, and I might have been at Newport on a Sunday morning and I was all over the place. Um, and you get to as many games and I was able to, uh, the numbers game to under 19s, I was able to, um, uh, Francis Jackson did his knee, so he made him the coach. So he, he understood. He was able to turn over a lot of players. Ian Stewart was able to identify talent once I got into the club. But, you know, I, I guess, um, as Ian said, don't just recruit what, what you were like as a player. Recruit what I was like as a player. So yeah. I was trying to get that mix of uh, my dog and determination and, and Ian Stewart's skill. 
There would be a primary school footy carnival in Darwin that would become part of footy folklore, I think it's fair to say. And, and a couple of years on from you commencing in your role, you found yourself there, a bunch of 12-year-olds running around for New South Wales. So, uh, who was there and what actually took you there, Greg? Well, I got involved in everything in New South Wales. I, I got involved in the regional championships. I coached there what was their Teal Cup, which was you know the, the, um, the under-17 national team. I, I had to get involved with everything. So the kids and the parents and the, and the administrators all knew me because then they'd feed information to me. I, I, I was in the system. So whenever there was a carnival, I was there. And, uh, yeah, I was in Darwin when, um, when John and, uh, and Wayne played. Um, not that I'd pick them out as anything superstars in those days, but it just starts that association with the names, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and John being Longmire, Wayne being Kerry, of course. And what actually, wasn't Horse the star of that carnival, going back? <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, he was pretty good as a junior. I tell you what, as a 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old, like, I can buy 15, he was kicking goals for the Ovens of Murray in, uh, in, in the league. Yeah, he was a very early developer, very uh, very good footballer at a younger age, where Wayne was a bit, a bit slower to get going. We'll come back to these two, because in the interim, you joined North Melbourne, didn't you? Recruiting officer and football manager was the title, I think? Yep, I left uh, the Swans at the end of um, 84. Um, I done a bit of dealing with Ron Joseph with Ian Fairley. We had to clean out our zones from players who didn't want to go to Sydney, so we um, we let go of guys like Darren Mullane and um, Craig Lambert and uh, and Ian Fairley. And the Ian Fairley deal, he wanted to go to Essendon, but Ron Joseph uh, just trusted what I said about him, and we did the deal in five minutes. And um, I guess I developed that relationship with Ron. So a few years have gone by now, and uh, Wayne and John are a little bit older. I think you saw them again in 87, at least Wayne anyway, by the time he was in his mid-teens. He was playing a rep school game in Adelaide. In fact, maybe as a 17-year-old, and you spoke about how you got to games often. Were you the only recruiter there? I reckon it was a Wednesday at, at Unley Oval. I reckon I would have been. It was just um, it was in, it was a sort of uh, the private schools played against the, um, the public schools. Um, in, a, in a sort of, I don't know, a Wednesday afternoon game for some reason. Um, and I found out about it and went across the Sturt and watched the game. And I saw this guy playing centre-half back. And um, I thought to myself, geez, yeah, this kid can play. Um, I hope they don't mention him in anything. And, of course, after the game, he won the medal, which I, I didn't think he was best on the ground. I was disappointed he won the medal because I mean, alerted other people that here's a guy who's won a medal in a, <laughs> in a, in a, a, a prestigious school game. So I rang, um, I had a record with me, saw the name, and rang the schools that had the school alongside it. And the, um, the school sportsmaster answered the phone, and he was a Norwood uh, coach, and told me off for Victorian and called me all the names under the sun, but did in the middle of it tell me that uh, it was Wayne Carey from Wagga. So that was able to put two and two together, and we moved pretty quickly from there. Now, the, I don't know if the Swans knew this, Greg, but they, of course, John and Wayne were tied to Sydney. Yeah, they were, because um, Wayne was had been... Once you're out of the zone, you, you still belong to that club until you're three years out of the zone. Well, Wayne had only been one year out of Wagga into Adelaide. And um, John had only just started his first year out of the um, uh, the minor league, which belonged to the um, Swans, into Cora Rutherglen in, in the senior team, which belonged to North Melbourne. So there was a, a break-up of the junior league and the senior league. Uh, the Swans zone won, North zone won. So when we got around to getting to our club and then asking for clearances. We already had one year, one and a half years up our sleeve. And the club who's then selling them knows that in three years, a total of three years, they lose that player for nothing. So, yeah. 
But that might be the that that might be the case. But I mean, and and by the way, you'd graduated to the CEO's desk at North Melbourne by this stage, I think. So it was your job to convince Ron Thomas, then Swans CEO, to transfer the two players. Now Wayne is one thing, but John Longmire, as we said, was highly regarded as a teenager. How on earth did you convince Ron to release those two players? Um, look, I think you got to say that they went a different direction under Ron Thomas, and what and probably they're working with Alan Swab and the whole. The whole uh, uh, Swans were driven then by the AFL. When when the people who took the club to Sydney left, which was myself and Dean Moore and you know uh, Ricky Quaid and Tony Payne, all of us left. Um, Alan Swab had a big influence, and they were they were going a different direction. They were going the Healy's and the Bolton's and the Tui's direction. So you know it wasn't it wasn't um, I'm not being unkind, but that, that was the direction that that they needed to go to get themselves on the map at the time, and the, the kids that we were able to get weren't high on their priorities at the time. You did the deal at the old VFL house in Jollymont, didn't you? I did, yes, in the, in the, in the lift on the way up to the third floor, I think it was, yes. So yep. what, did, what did it cost you to get horse across? Somewhere, so I think it's well, been... I think it was 60, yeah, it was 60, um, and then Wayne was thrown in, I think, for 10. But, <laughs> um, but, the, but the 60, the, the, the interesting part of that story definitely was the fact that uh, old Jimmy Hammond, Ronnie's uh, sidekick at the... The accountant, we, 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 our bank account wouldn't have had 70 grand in it. But I rang, um, I rang Ronnie and said, Ronnie, I need a check here at AFL House right now for 70 grand or whatever it was. Um, and um, he had to go and see Jimmy and try and get the money out of him. And it was, I reckon we would have gone in, into the overdraft. But anyway, uh, Ron trusted me. Um, Jim trusted Ron. And we got the deal done. I'm not sure if it's a myth, but is it true that after doing the deal, Kevin Sheedy came in and was sniffing around about a young kid named Wayne Carey? Yeah, yeah. Well, Ian Collins, Ian Collins had gone up to uh, Glen to see John Longmire, but we got in a couple of days earlier, Ron and I. Um, and so Carlton were on the move for John, and yeah, Kevin, Kevin did start to make some overtures. So that, that was all too late. The players had moved to Melbourne, but what we did in those days with, um, you know, <laughs> the Wayne Crosses, the Craig Charles, all of those guys, is you move them, and they, you know, ownership is nine tenths of the law, and you can do the deal after you move them. I guess the zones, didn't they, Greg, throw up all sorts of weird and wonderful sort of stories and quirks. I wanted to ask you about Mark Bays, fantastic player, of course, Swans team of the century. Again, yeah. is this myth or fact? Did you move him to his nearby grandmother's house to keep him out of the bulldog zone? Uh, well, close. It was his actually dad. What happened was his dad and his dad and the mother were separated. Uh, he lived with his mother. Um, his dad lived, they both lived in the bulldogs area. We shifted his dad uh, into the uh, Swans area. Paid a bit of rent for him for a short period of time. Changed the kid's address to the um, his dad's address, and uh, and then twelve months down the track, walked into the Bulldogs office and said, "Come on, he's in our zone now. You're going to lose him in two years. Do a deal." And they did. <laughs> How far are we talking? How far did you have to relocate the old man? Oh, not, not far. Virtually across the road. Those zones were very close. So he actually never lived with his dad, but we put his address down there. But there's a lot of that going on in those days. I, you, I, was, I wasn't the only one, Sam. No, no, I know. And as I said, I said the zones threw up all sorts of quirks. I, I, I put my hand up. It was a, a weird and wonderful time. What about Nathan Buckley? I mean, the worst kept secret in footy was his agreement with the Bears that he'd be leaving yeah. after one year, 93, and coming to Melbourne. Did, did you think you had him at North? Oh, absolutely. Uh, look, Nathan said this in his book. I uh, was lucky enough to be at a game in um, Alice Springs on the Queen's birthday where A.G. McAdam was playing for Central um, Australia Footy League and uh, Port Adelaide were playing uh, during the bye weekend, playing a, a rep side. And uh, Nathan was playing in the seconds at Port Adelaide and I happened to be there 
at Adelaide Oval the week before, saw him play and saw Gee, and I found out he was playing the following week in, in Alice. So I got to Alice, watched the game, and uh, saw two superstars, you know, Adrian McAdam and Nathan Buckley, on the same day at Alice Springs in the middle of the year. So we did the deal. We signed up. Um, we signed up uh, Adrian to come next year, and then of course we did the deal with Nathan. Um, but he belonged to the Brisbane Bears, so. They had um, a moratorium. They weren't allowed to clear players for 12 months uh, until a certain period of time out of their zone. Uh, he'd come down from Darwin, which they owned. He'd come down to South Australia. So we had to predate all the forms. Did a second-round draft choice with um, Andrew Ireland and um, uh, Shannon Sullivan at the time. Second-round draft choice for Nathan to come to uh, come to the north. And um, lo and behold, during that 12-month waiting period, he, got, he gets in the first and wins the McGarry medal. So uh, things changed a bit. Jesus, some wild times back then, weren't they? Absolutely. Yeah, you with, wild times. Yeah, with This Is Your Journey, brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funeral, celebrating lives. You can visit them online at tobinbrothers.com.au. So, with North Melbourne's two forward pillars in place, Greg Miller and the club's next major task was to find a coach to guide them to glory. That's after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. We're with former player, recruiter, CEO and football director, Greg Miller. Greg, we've charted your great recruiting coups over the years and your pieces of genius, so it's probably only fair that we balance up the ledger. Scotty Wine, <laughs> Scotty Wine became a Bradlow medalist at, well, then Footscray, of course, a superstar ruckman in the game. He was zoned to North Melbourne. How did he not play at Arden Street? Exactly right. Yes, for every... Uh... Good story. There's, uh, there's one that will haunt me, but uh, good on him. Uh, he was in our zone. We put his birthday back to front. I think we had something like the uh, uh, first of the uh, first of the fifth instead of the fifth of the first. And when you turned a certain age, if you weren't on a club list, any other club could take you. It's junior <laughs> list in those days. So I had his birthday back to front. And the minute he turned 16 and a half, the Bulldogs picked him up. Uh, if that wasn't bad enough, uh, a few years later when the zoning finished, allowed to take two young kids out of um, out of your zone, your last two young kids. And I, I, I was paranoid, so I took Paul Wine, his brother, who I thought was going to be six foot eight on a, on a wrist test I did for him at the Royal Children's Hospital. <laughs> um, and I left Chris Johnson to, to play 300 games with Fitzroy and the, and the Bears. So, uh, yeah, oh. there's always stories on both sides. <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, Scotty Wine turned out to be a reasonable player, of course, didn't he? 237 uh, and games. And a great I see Scotty around. He's in the Greyhound world. He's a great fella. He is indeed uh, a deserving Brownlow medalist. I mentioned the coach before the break, uh, Greg. Dennis Pagan. Well, he was North Melbourne under-19s coach. He then coached Essendon Reserve, so he took to the Victorian State Football League Premiership in 1992. So he's off Broadway to a degree. How did he appear on the ruse radar after the departure of Wayne Shimmerbush? Well, we uh, we straight away had to you know, find a replacement and... Um, you know, Dennis put his hand up. Uh, Rodney E put his hand up, and uh, I rang Dermy and see whether Dermy would. And Dermy said no. He said no. I'm the media, mate. Why would I do? Why would I put myself under that sort of pressure when I'm <laughs> I can do the media? And Dermy was right. He, you know, he still survived. Um, Smart man. Dennis walked in with a with a game plan. Um, 
you know, it's true to say that uh, Wayne Schimmelbush and John Kennedy before him had set the foundations about the morality and the, um, the culture of the club, done a great job in giving guys opportunities. But uh, what Dennis uh, added was a, uh, an absolute fantastic game plan and, um, and a remarkable ability to understand where the game was up to during the game. You know, I was on the phone for many years listening, getting instructions down the phone to give to the runners. And how we saw the game was ahead of its time. You know, him and I guess him and Sheedy were, were head to head in that, in that regard at the top of the tree. Um, and, uh, yeah, he did an uh, outstanding job. Uh, I think his first game was a practice match up at um, Marupna Way. And he had a, he explained to everyone the game plan, you know, not no no U turns, no short to fifty fifties, no going out of the triangle, and um, he had Wayne Carey off in the first ten minutes just to show that no one was immune to those rules, and that was what it, that, that's, that's what it was like for the next uh, the next uh, twelve years. Yeah, just the process to a point, Dennis. I think you interviewed him at Peter Darash's lighting showroom and factory, yeah. didn't you, on a Wednesday afternoon? How did he present? I think uh, from reading it, he had some dossiers he was pretty keen to hand around. Yeah. He just walked in and says, gentlemen, bang, 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 handle one out each. He says, this is how we're going to drive North Melbourne's future. And he just, um, he sold it. He sold it. He nailed it. It was outstanding. It was, a, you know, all credit to him. He, he, he prepared himself for that day. I don't know whether it was before he knew he, whether it was the previous 48 hours or whether he was already on that path. But as an, as an unlined coach as well, he left no stone unturned. Look, you know, I think we played in eight, eight or nine grand finals in a row. He leaves for one year goes to Western and wins that one, and he has to coach Simon Madden and Terry Danaher in that, in that side. Yeah. So, you know, that was a remarkable effort in itself. And, of course, um, a couple of premierships at, uh, in North at the senior level as well. Was he immediately impressive, Greg? Like, when he left the room, what, what was said? Oh, yeah. I can't remember the exact words, but he, he had the job because the way he, mm. he convinced us all that he was going to drive the club forward and how he was going to do it, but he had a plan. I clearly remember um, my mind going too fast from the mouth, and there was just so many things I wanted to do in such a short time. But it, and, and eventually, it, uh, you know, after a couple of days, it settled and got into some sort of routine. You know, I coached the, coached the club for ten years as an nineteen coach, and obviously had a lot of uh, uh, time with the, a lot of the guys who are on the list now. And I suppose probably fifty or sixty percent of the guys, maybe a bit more, um, had come through the under nineteens, and uh, they knew a little bit about Dennis Pay, and I knew a little bit about them, so it probably was an advantage. You called him on the Saturday morning. So what's that? Three or four days later to, to tell him he had the job. I think he was uh, on his way to a preseason game. When, when did you actually talk money? Because I think, as the way he recounts it, you hadn't talked money at that stage when you'd offered him the job. <laughs> well, we, we thought we had none. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't going to tell him that. I don't remember all of that. I remember that we went to Marupna and he, how quickly he got into action. It was like he was already ready. It was like uh, he hit. If anyone's hit the ground running, it was him. And um, yeah, he. Um, had a remarkable impact straight away, but I don't remember actually the the money in the discussion. But uh, suffice to say, it increased a bit over the years. Oh no, it did absolutely. Just initially, I think he said you offered ninety thousand a year, and he told you he was getting that working and coaching at Essendon, and then you said, "Well, make it a <laughs> hundred. Probably 95, I would have said. Amazing. Uh, Times have changed in so many ways, but anyone who visited Arden Street around that time and in those successful seasons, Greg, would have been, I think, fair to say, shocked at the facilities. I mean, you had the old portables, an old gym, the swimming pool next door to the ground, and when you trained indoors, you had to go up the road to the Ascot Vale Leisure Centre. But wasn't it just a constant reminder that the greatest asset an organisation can have isn't, isn't in fact, bricks and mortar, but quality people? Yeah, it has to be for, you know, where we had a grip of staff, and I've got to say that when I left, I think we had maybe 20 staff, and 15 have been there the whole time with me. They've been there 15 years. 
Um, and the the um, same with the coaching crew, you know. They were, and, and, the, and the boots started to the lady who was doing the meals. It was a great camaraderie, a great group. They stuck together, um, and they enjoyed the success as it as it as it, as it came. And um, and they deserved to be a part of it because they stuck with us during the leaner times in the eighties and enjoyed the nineties. For seven consecutive seasons, it is amazing. The club made it to at least a preliminary final. And in three of those seven, it was obviously a grand final appearance. And then in three of those, there was two premierships. I mean, what stands out for you in that period? This is a hard question for you to answer, Greg, but it was just success after success after success. Uh, there's no doubt what stands out, uh, Sam, is 96, because we'd, we'd put our hand up. We'd bared our soul to our members that would merge with um, Brisbane, uh, so with Fitzroy. Um, and to be seduced and then thwarted by the AFL changing their mind midstream, um, you know, hurt us all. Um, but we regathered and then we beat the two AFL sides, um, Brisbane in the preliminary and the Swans in the grand final. Um, a centenary year with the only gold cup around, you've got to say that was um, a pretty special time. And, uh, and also, I think the, you know, I recall, what I recall most of all was the, the supporters and the enjoyment that all of us were able to give them and the look on their faces was the most, you know, surreal feeling to be out in the middle of the ground when the siren goes and to see the amount of uh, North Melbourne, you know, faithful who'd waited that time and were enjoying what was happening. Yeah. I wanted to ask about 99 as well, but what makes 99 in many ways is the agony of 98. I mean, does 98 still make you squirmy? You're up 6.15 to 4.3 <laughs> at half time. The game should have been yeah. dead and buried and you get overrun Bloody. in the second half. Yeah, I'm going to blame Craig Scholl, you know, kicking all those points. <laughs> we get a few points, didn't we? No, it was, yeah, it was. It was amazing because we were the best side that year. But then again, in the following year, Essendon missed out against Carlton in the preliminary. So, yeah, yeah you have your ups and downs about all that. But um, that was a great era. Uh, 99 was also, we, we played home games in Sydney. So, that was pretty uh, special as well, you know. To, we That year, we played um, the Swans, as we do tomorrow, um, as a home game in Sydney. And it was the second biggest crowd um, for the year um, at, at a sporting event in Sydney behind one of the Swans games. So, you know, we were right up there that year. It was, and then, of course, a couple of years later, we played home games in Canberra. So we were out in the marketplace trying to grow our club yep. any way we could. And we went down the merger route. We went down the really playing games in other states' routes. Uh, and, clubs, and other clubs were pointing the finger at us. I remember, um, you know, the Bulldogs saying, what are you doing? And yet two years later, they're playing games in Darwin. You had to find new sources of revenue. You had to change your name to Kangaroos, trying to attract and the new Australians, new new people to your club. Because when you're small, you're small at everything. You're small in the coteries. You're small in the sponsors. You're small in the in the in the membership race. So yeah. I think it was 8.22 by the final siren in 98. And then 99, you had opened with three of your first four you lost. Um, and then you would yeah. have watched on, I imagine, Greg. Uh, there was no love lost between the two clubs at the time with a fair old smile in the 99 prelim when Carlton rolled the Bombers <laughs> by a point. Uh, I was there, mate, on the wing, and I and I saw what happens in the middle of the ground with Fraser Brown and all that. It was uh, Dean Wallace. It was... Uh, yeah, I enjoyed that a little bit, that a couple of minutes. <laughs> we, might, we might come back to the Bombers after this break. We're talking to Greg Miller on This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives.
You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Greg Miller has been our guest today. Greg, I think by this point you'd left North Melbourne, but where were you when you heard that Wayne Carey had fleed North Melbourne and indeed he'd left the country after the affair with uh, Kelly Stevens came to light yeah. in 2002? I was there. Uh, I had a one-year uh, hiatus where I was involved with Craig Hutchison and Timmy Watson doing the club. Uh, so I was at Channel 7 studio. Of course. Um, uh, the Hammerheads, mate. You wouldn't <laughs> believe it. it. It's 20 years ago yesterday they played their first game. 20 the years Hammerhead. ago. I remember that. Yeah. We lost by 50 points in the first game. And <laughs> and, uh, and the um, the Channel 7 producers were uh, quite happy about all that because they, they, they were having a mid-season draft. They had all these plans. What they didn't plan for was the Hammerheads went on and won the premiership and they had to sell four more weeks of advertising during the finals. <laughs> so it was a good fun. How conscious was the club of protecting Wayne during those glory years on field? Look, it was. You're going to say, Sam, there was a lot going on behind the scenes. There was, there was, there was opportunists out there who sought to, mm. you know, disrupt our club and use Wayne as you know, leverage to get money. There was things that happened behind the scenes that I don't want to go into. But suffice to say that what happened in King Street many years ago became the uh, starting point for a lot of little stories, little things that went on that, that, he, that he wasn't involved in, that it was easier to blame him, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So did you find that that was not keeping you busy, but it was a, a constant thing in the back of your mind that you had to worry about? Well, not, not let's say we'd been through the, you know, Jimmy Crackers, there's other issues with other players. It was, mm. it was um, in those days, without social media, there was a bubbling of little stories behind the scenes that, that we were able to keep out of the media. Um, not so these days. Oh, um, yeah. But, but it was, it was, it was, it was, there was uh, little things that happened or, or didn't happen or were, were, were reported have happened. You know, there was just a different era. So, yeah, but there was always issues and Dennis and I, I guess, between us, we handled them all um, in the right way. You know, we, we kept the image of the club and helped the, helped the players understand their obligations. So, no, I think it was, let, let's not forget that Amongst those stories, Wayne was an outstanding leader as well. He actually, the things he did behind the scenes in terms of promoting the um, younger players and um, engaging them in the, in the group was, was outstanding. Just putting Wayne aside completely here, I was going to ask you, in this age of social media and mobile phones and everything else, how you thought you might have gone with keeping the club's best interests at heart if it was, you know, 2022 <laughs> and not 1992? Oh, exactly. I mean... Uh, yeah, it was a completely, completely different way to manage, I guess. And um, you can't, you can never, you can never now expect that a story won't get out. You know it will. Yeah. So therefore, you've got to be totally upfront all the time. I mean, um, perhaps back in my day, it was a bit of a game. You know, you would, um, you would, you would engage yourself with a reporter like yourself, Sam, and let them know certain things. But then you'd trust them in 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 with your relationship not to release other things. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. <laughs> 
the rivalry with Essendon that we touched on, it was immense, wasn't it? Now, you were in the middle of an incredible run. Essendon was building towards 2000. And it does have to be immense when Kevin Sheedy's prepared to call you a marshmallow and, and accuse you of being soft, Greg. Before the game, you mentioned that uh, there's a lot of rivalry between these two clubs. Do you feel that North Melbourne might believe that the Bombers are a little sort of soft? soft? Got no doubt about that. That discussion and a comment by North Melbourne officials on the Essendon style of play prompted this return from Kevin Sheedy. He'd be a pink marshmallow, Dawson, and uh, Miller would be a, a white marshmallow. I and mean, that's about where I see those two uh, softies, you know, when it gets down to that sort of stuff. Kevin later defended his attack by adding... If they want to throw hand grenades, they can expect scud missiles back. To actually get that slur against the club that I'm personally coaching, I don't like at all. Oh, and what does opposition coach Dennis Pagan think of Kevin and the whole marshmallow thing? I don't know. I, I like Kevin. Um, he gave me an opportunity when, when, when things weren't going well. I had a chat to Kevin before the Richmond-Melbourne uh, game yesterday at the MCG and uh, um, there was no discussion of any uh, marshmallows or anything. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, Kev, Kevin, was, look, let me say from the outset, absolutely brilliant for footy, Kevin. I love him. Uh, what he's done for the game uh, is unparalleled. For the same token, trying to deal with him in a trade is the worst bloke in the bloody world. He is. He's, um, he says one thing and then it changes five minutes later. So I thought we had Mark Harvey. Uh, we needed leadership uh, at North. I thought we had Mark Harvey. It uh, didn't happen. He changed his mind. And then a few years later with Richmond, I, uh, I thought we had Dean, Dean Solomon, um, which didn't happen as well. So there was a number of different, uh, different uh, trade deals we did or didn't get with uh, dealing with, with, with Kevin and particularly with Essendon Footy Club. Just with halves, well, I think you wanted to get across, didn't you, part, or part of the reason was to help Wayne when he got the captaincy at 22. And didn't Sheed say yes initially and then change his mind? <laughs> Certainly did. <laughs> Jeez. Anyway, look, Mark Harvey's, uh, in, a, in a way, uh, you know, Mark Harvey's essence through and through and um, did the right thing by staying. But in Dean Solomon's case, the opportunity we offered, a year later, he cleared, he cleared him to Fremantle. So, uh, yeah, that would have been nice. At least you were the white marshmallow and not the pink one like Mark Dawson. I mean, the white ones are the better ones, aren't they? I'll tell you, it was the most amazing thing you ever seen for you to go to a game. It was a, it was a final, first final. And to see people in the crowd just chucking marshmallows everywhere. It was. Like, that, 98, like the, went, the 98 qualifying final it was. Yeah, and, and North won easily. Um, but I don't know how many marshmallows hit me during the game. because Everyone took a bag of marshmallows with them. It was a... <laughs> Amazing. I don't know how Kevin comes up with these things, but uh, they're good for footy. Behind Wayne Carey, and they've done it again. They're into the preliminary final. A giant step forward in their quest to win their second premiership in three years. A come-from-behind victory, as they did last week, against the Bulldogs on this ground. The marshmallows are flying out here at the moment, Bruce. Uh, a few are hitting Kevin, but luckily they're very soft. I think I think Dennis might have woken up the morning after as well to see his Mooney Ponds front yard covered in them. <laughs> what do you um, What do you see in North Melbourne now? Then I mean, uh, you're a life member of the club, Greg. You still follow them closely, as we, we've touched on. What do you see that uh, that David Noble's got in front of him at North Melbourne at the moment? Oh, I'm um, very impressed with David. He's a mature man. He um, the right uh, position was made. I've listened to him and watched him and watched all his press conferences. Now he's handling the situation. Um, no, I think he's absolutely on the right track. It's going to take time. It's going to be weeks like last week. Um, it's going to be uh, you know second half of years like last year. Well, good. But look, I'm. Uh, I think he's the um, absolutely the right man for the job. And I think they've actually built their club uh, in the administrative side. Um, 
they've surrounded a few years back when Reese got the job. There was a lot of inexperienced people around the place, and uh, of course now, when uh, Paul Roos come to help David Noble at the start, and and he's got Johnny Blakey there now, and um, you know it's changed and uh, all for the better, and I'm right behind them. And you think North Melbourne supporters like you are, I guess, pragmatic enough to know that it's going to take some time? That you've had to cut back pretty hard. That was clearly the approach, and. There's no other way now, but but up, but it's just going to be steady and slow at times. Absolutely, I think they are. I think they're, they're in the way that the way that um, David Noble sells it to them is the right way. He's honest with them, but he also, you know, he explains the hope, the the opportunities that are going to are going to happen. So no, I'm sure they've they've got the patience. Um, let's let's remember this is a group that in '96, when we talked about the merger, they trusted in the club, and when we made the decision whether or not to go to the Gold Coast. They trusted the club. There's a lot of a lot of trust in there. We've had, I know it's been a slow trickle, but four premierships for a club with uh, with um, smaller support in the last forty or fifty years. What it's been, uh, they've, they've had their share of enjoyment, and, and it'll come again. And just on the relocation with North Melbourne, you know, the the last couple of times it could have happened, or the the merger, as you say, with football now in Tasmania being absolutely front of mind in a standalone capacity. What are your thoughts on? a 19th licence down in Tasmania. As someone who's been around the game for, for so long, is it, is it the right move? It seems to be uh, growing, doesn't it, Sam? It seems to be pretty much inevitable now, which uh, I'm not sure how we're going to go with 19 up to 20, how we're going to get to the 20th team. But um, look, I, I always thought it wouldn't be the money available in, um, in Tasmania to, to uh, you know, for an AFL team to do well down there. But... Um, the money in the game is there. It seems to be able to keep the keep the uh, Gold Coast going and and the GWS, which I'm a total support of. You know, I understood the the expansion and the opportunities it gave with the finances into the game, with the TV sets that are up in the in the western side of Sydney and so on. I'm uh, so you know I, I'm supportive of a team coming into Tessie. and a 20th license potentially yep, shortly I thereafter. Where, I, I don't know where that's going to come from, Sam. Your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> Greg, great to talk to you. South Melbourne, North Melbourne, Richmond, they were lucky to have you, but you've certainly got your fingerprints on the Kangaroos' incredible run of success during that magnificent run in the 1990s, and you do sit comfortably as a life member of that club. Well done on all you achieved, and and thanks a lot for joining us. Uh, It's been a pleasure talking to you, Sam. Thanks, Thanks very much. Bye. And thank you for joining us also. You've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You can jump online to find them at tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.